It's the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, March 29th. All about the Calgary Stampeders today, also known as Stamps Talk Day on 770 CHQR. We kick off coverage with a conversation about the return to play for the CFL this year. We get the thoughts of Moshe Lander, professor of economics at Concordia University with a specialization in sports. Next, we speak with Calgary Stampeder fan favorite wide receiver Kamar Jordan. We talk with Kamar about how anxious he is to get back on the field and why he's so proud to call Calgary his home. Then we shine the spotlight on the great work the Calgary Stampeders Foundation does for amateur sports in our city. We learn about the organization with Executive Director Candice Gowdy. And finally, it's no April Fool's joke. Every year, alcohol taxes rise automatically on April 1st. We discuss the so-called annual escalator tax with the Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Aaron Woodrick. 610, it is mornings with Sue and Andy. The pandemic has impacted virtually every industry in the world of sports is no exception. Few sports fans know this more than fans of the CFL. With a look ahead into the potential for a 2021 season and what the future holds for the league, we are joined by Moshe Lander, Professor of Economics at Concordia University with a specialization in sports. Good morning to you, Moshe. Good morning. Why wasn't the bumper music the Stampeders? You're starting with the Kings, right? (laughs) Because because we played, uh, well, actually, we played the Stampeders fight song earlier because we're all stamps all the time today. Holding out hope because we miss our Stampeders and we miss the CFL. And it's interesting, what a unique situation as we've seen so many other pro leagues make their return in some fashion. So what are your thoughts on the CFL's return in 2021, Moshe? Well, the fact is that they're returning in 2021, so that's the good news, right? The 2020 was a completely lost season, and they weren't able to salvage even a few games at the end there. So uh, the fact that they're coming back, the fact that they're kind of committed to starting on June 10, which would be the normal start date, Mm -hmm. means that things are looking up for the CFL from 2020. Only up from here. So there's the good news there. Absolutely. So let's talk about this, what it might look like. Do you, do you see a potential for a you know, condensed schedule or a, a change up like we've seen for the NHL to make things work? So there's a potential for any amount of things that can go wrong. So the good news is that there will be a season. The bad news is, will it be a full season? Will they get the way through? So I think the starting point, of course, is going to be that there's no fans. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that there's any vaccination rollout plan that's going to uh, secure the ability for fans to return, uh, you know, in June. Uh, as the vaccination rolls out, as uh, things get a little safer, hopefully into the fall, we'll see that fans start to return. But I don't think we're going to see the crazy crowds at McMahon that we would have seen in 2019 and years past. So it, it's still going to be a, a very sparse-looking stadium. Uh, but the fact is that there should at least be fans that come along the way. And Moshe, let's face it, I mean, the, the CFL is a business, right? The Stampeders are a business. So how do they make it through a season without the dollars from the fans? Well, the starting point for them was they made a proposal to the players uh, asking them to take a 20% pay cut off the top with a promise that if fans return, some of that 20% can be clawed back. Now, you can imagine the, the players were not particularly thrilled with the idea of cuts, and uh, especially when you're talking about CFL salaries, right? These are not the Patrick Mahomes of the world that are earning $40 million a yeah. year, and hey, what's $16 million among friends, right? Um, it's When they're talking about earning in the low six figures to begin with, if not even in the five figures, 20% is a significant uh, chunk of their, their salary, and a lot of them have taken on jobs elsewhere that they're loath to walk away from uh, on the promise that, hey, that money might come back if fans return. So, uh, you know, this is one of those pressure points where th- 
things could go sideways here and might not have a season start at the beginning of June. And, of course, all of the safety protocols, if there's cancelled games, it's not like hockey where you can make those things up. Mm-hmm. And you, We talked about this. You mentioned the business aspect. And so many of these professional sports leagues tied to their television deals the TV deals, though, have been inked. It's not like they can be rejigged. So um, it's interesting because they're probably going to have to deliver a certain amount to, to for example, TSN. Uh, but there's no wiggle room to change things up, is there? No, and, and that's exactly why they're going to return. As much as they're going to say it's for the fans, of course, if the fans are not in attendance, it's really not for the fans. It's that they have obligations to TV partners, and, and that's a huge amount of money for this league. They, they are extremely reliant on game day revenues and ticket sales and all of the ancillary stuff that goes on in the stadium, parking, concessions, and things like that. So if they're not getting that money, they absolutely need that TV deal, and they need to be able to deliver you know, Thursday night, Friday night football as well as on the weekend, and, and they can't afford to be cancelling games because you can't have a team double up in the next week and play two games in a week. It's just not safe. And so they need to make sure that these players are going to be out on the field every single week according to the schedule that they ultimately agree on. And another potential savior on the horizon, this discussion about a partnership with the XFL. How, how does that look, do you think? Do you think that might be a positive thing or is that a bit uh, negative to you? It's controversial. Um, it has the potential that it could be good, but there's so many logistics that need to work out. I think it was kind of a bit of a trial balloon just to see what the response from fans is going to be. Remember that the XFL is essentially like a slight modification of the NFL version of the game. And the CFL takes great pride in its 110 yards and three downs and 12 players and uh, the Canadian content. And so you know, I, I think what the CFL is going to watch here is we don't want a replay of what we saw in the 90s with a disastrous American expansion project. Um, so how they're going to reconcile these two leagues. And given the fact that the XFL is kind of committed to picking up football from like the moment the Super Bowl ends into the early spring, where the CFL is a late spring into the early winter sort of sport, uh, I, I'm not really sure how they're going to kind of square that circle. But it'll be interesting to see. But it's not a case that we'd see, you know, the same, like a combinational league. You think this will be more of a sharing so that these players will have the opportunity to play basically all year long? That's the great mystery, right? Mm-hmm. So they've, they've kind of left it open-ended. And, and so it leads us to speculate and to, to create kind of excitement. And that's why I'm saying that I think part of it is just troubling to see where does our imagination go and what is it that we're willing to accept? So if it's the idea that, yeah, this can become kind of like a developmental league, the way that the, the G League uh, is now becoming really a developmental league for the NBA, then okay, maybe this is some sort of kind of hybrid where if you don't want to go to the U.S. college and deal with all the NCAA rules, then now you have the possibility to make any number of on-ramps to get up to the NFL by playing either in the XFL in the spring or um, much the way that, you know, baseball has kind of the Venezuelan and Mexican leagues playing in the uh, off-season for players that want to kind of fix up on their craft and, and bounce back to the majors. Maybe that's what they're looking at. But until they come out with the specific details, we're really just kind of making guesswork here and uh, seeing if this is something that we want to consider, you know, hooking up with the XFL. Well, since it's guesswork anyway, are, are the Stamps going to win the Grey Cup this year, Moshe? Ooh. I hope so. <laughs> I, if we're going to go two seasons without football here, let's at least have something good to talk about. With here, the here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm full for that. Well, and I know that the, that, that factor of as far as waiting, the fans are rabid and we're very excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you for sharing your thoughts with us uh, this morning, Moshe. And uh, I feel a little bit better having talked to you because, you know, we were unclear as to how things might look, but you're a man in the know. So we appreciate your time. Anytime. Go Stamps, go.
<laughs> there you have it. That is Moshe Lander, economics professor from Concordia University with a specialization in sports economies. 843, and as we celebrate Calgary Stampeders Day, well, this incredible athlete was sidelined with an injury back in 2018, but he is ready for a comeback. His name is Kamar Jordan, spectacular wide receiver for the Calgary Stampeders. It's a pleasure to say good morning, Kamar. Thanks for joining us. Definitely good morning. I love the introduction. Uh, okay, good, 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 because, uh, you know, we love you. We we can't wait to see you back on the field. We're all in CFL withdrawal, but, boy, you guys as athletes, you must just be ready for this like nobody's business. Oh, man, you you can't even imagine. Like, with me personally, coming coming from this injury, this, this long, hard rehab process of just getting stronger and being able to run and being able to, fall and all those jumping all those things as well kind of finally getting back and starting to feel like myself again and to come and have a canceled season and then really an unsure season of 2021 is definitely definitely getting to me but um i'm staying ready trying to work out as much as i can uh doing with the conditions and just be ready to go when we do hopefully announce that we have a season to share Fingers crossed. We can't wait to get out there and support mm-hmm. Kamar. Let's let's talk about the fact that yeah, you have traveled across uh, you know North America for that matter, but within within the CFL, all the different stadiums. What makes Calgary special? Calgary fans as well, and you call it your second home. What is it about the city? Well, for, well, first and foremost, I think the big difference with me was winning. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of places, a lot of places I've been um, really growing up and college and things like that. Um, We've had a lot of good teams that just um, wasn't able to win it. And I think being here in Calgary really gave me a real appreciation of how much it really takes for a football team, a football organization to win a game. It, it really starts at the top with um, Huff and Dave kind of directing the team and leading us. And then um, with the players in the locker room, it's just all a matter of just um, having like a little family atmosphere and trusting in each other. I think that's the – the big thing and the big reason we've been able to have success really as long as I've been here, even before that, is kind of trusting the guy beside you, um, believing that if you do your job and that man does his job, that uh, everything's going to be able to work and go. So, so, for one, definitely being able to win and just being on a great team. And Calgary itself, the fans, man, the fans have definitely um, helped me out with so many ups and downs in my uh, career and supported me and supported the team. Um, through all our journeys this season. So um, they definitely make it a lot easier, a lot more fun to be here playing here in Calgary. Love to hear that because you can tell that, you know, it's it's fun for you and, and to have a sort of a family atmosphere just makes it that much better. What are your thoughts, Kamar, on, you know, all this discussion around the CFL and the XFL sort of perhaps having some sort of relationship? Well, I mean, I, I definitely think it's, it's time for some innovation or some change. Um we, we CFL has definitely been um, going through the same models since as long as I've been here uh, before that and, and as well. And um, as far as playing football, the product on the field, as far as, I mean, we, we thought that the product was good. Um, we thought that, that we had a lot of support from the fans, but obviously the numbers and the books wasn't matching up. So I think, I mean, I'm definitely one of the advocates where I want CFL football and CFL rules to live. Um, I would like to see if it is some type of merger or some type of um, bigger league that they're um, joining. I, I would hope to keep a lot of the Canadian football rules in because I, I, I love the CFL. I love the rules. I think it's an exciting brand of football. It's a lot more fun um, to watch, in my opinion, than um, the NFL. 
it was a lot more excitement every play, and I definitely would hope if that was the case that they would keep that. But, you know what I mean? Right now, it's, it's really nothing we could really talk about and all things like that. I'm really just waiting to see um, what comes out of it and really just waiting for an announcement for the season. But it's definitely exciting. I think any opportunity where you could give more people more opportunities to get jobs mm-hmm. all over North America with football is, is a is a benefit and a plus for football in general. So um, if that's if that's what they're aiming for, then I'm definitely all with it. We're definitely waiting, uh, you know, with bated breath to see you do your thing on the yeah. field this year. So thank you so much for your time, Kamar. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. That's Kamar Jordan, Calgary Stampeders all-star wide receiver. It is Stamps Talk all day here on 770 CHQR. 8.50, it's mornings with Sue and Andy, and yet Stamps in focus today. The Stamps will be roaring back for 2021, but the Stamps Foundation never stopped their work donating to charities and promoting amateur football in the region. Candace Gowdy is executive director and with us now. Good morning, Candace. Morning, how's it going? Good. Uh, thank you for taking the time. We want to see some action on the field, but yes, the foundation never did stop. So can you give us an idea and a snapshot of the past year? Because you folks, you know, not to like every other fan, although you're very much involved, would have loved to see Stampeders football happening. So you had to pivot. Tell us what you folks did when you got together, knowing that there wouldn't be a year. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, this has been so hard for so many charities and so many sports groups, right? And that's uh, what the Stamps Foundation really does is all about the growth of football and supportive sports. So, I mean, during the pandemic, we still made sure to financially support um, the Colts and Bantams and what we could for high school football. It's been so hard, obviously, for everyone, but for kids um, and for those playing sports, you know, playing and not playing. And thankfully, uh, both the Colts and Bantams had had a, a version of a season in the spring and summer. So we were still able to support them there and then of course the coaches for the Stampeders just did an amazing job in the community actually as coaches which was a really really cool story um, and yeah I mean just you know the Stamps Foundation is still pretty new you know inception in, in 2013 and then has provided over $3 million for a football programs so we've tried to, to do what we can to support groups through this as well and that, that includes amateur football and flag football. Well, I mean, you do amazing work, and we're, we can't wait for the players to get back on the field this year. So, you know, we're assuming all things are going to be a go. We'll get a CFL season. Will we see lots of players out and about through the community this year? Yeah, you know what? It's been really hard, and it's been, you know, part of the school closures in the spring where a number of Stampeders players uh, committed virtually to things. So we did lots of workouts at home. We partnered with Classroom Champions and provided, you know, a number of videos that were focused around social-emotional learning, so leadership and and um, mental health, and, and that was really great. Obviously, during all this... <laughs> We are virtual. Everyone's virtual, right? So moving into the season, you know, coupled with what they've already and what they're doing virtually and through Zooms and and online, it just depends. You know, I don't what we see players in in schools and hospitals and community events honestly probably not but will we see them engaging in a totally different way you know virtual hike for hospices uh yes for sure you know san peter's players are so generous with their time um as a whole and i think whatever format we'll be able to continue to give like that we will we were talking about that earlier in the program, Candice, the fact that these CFL players across the league are so accessible. What do you think it is? Because, yeah, it's a different breed. They want to give back. They give their time, and they genuinely seem to be having a good time when they're out in the public. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a, you know, they're such larger-than-life people, right? And they are so generous with their time. Um, you know, they all, everybody has such a different story, and uh, that really resonates with with 
kids and with young athletes and with people. So, and I mean, the, the work that they do is such a broad scope, right? So, um, yeah, we just, we love seeing them in the community and we love that vivaciousness and excitement that, that comes with it. And, you know, we do think that they are pretty accessible and there's something really special about, you know, having your home CFL team in the stamps. You know, we live here, we work here and we actually, you know, we're sort of everywhere. You know, they are so active. So very true, and we can't wait to get everybody back in action, and we'll be talking to you through the season, no doubt. Thanks so much for joining us, Candice. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Thanks, Sue. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This is Stamps Day. That was Candace Gowdy, Executive Director, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation. If you want to find out more about the foundation, stampeters.com slash foundation. 9.10 now, and every April, taxes on beer, wine, and spirits go up. So are automatic tax hikes something we need to be watching out for this week? And we're looking at the uh, the uh, federal carbon tax as well, perhaps. So yeah. let's check in this morning with Canadian Taxpayers Federation Director Aaron Woodruff, who joins us this morning. Hi, Aaron. Good morning, Sue. Thanks so much for being here. Okay, we know or we expect this is going to happen. Are we correct? Taxes on beer, wine, spirits... Do we call those escalator taxes? Is that is that what's happening? Well, we call it an escalator tax in this case, too, because it's automatic. And I don't know if someone in the federal government has a, a wry sense of humor, but they make it happen on April Fool's Day mm. every year. And it's an automatic increase that's tied to inflation. And this is unusual because usually when taxes go up, you know, there has to be a vote, there has to be a debate, there sort of has to be sort of some transparency around it. But this alcohol tax, which was introduced a couple of years ago federally, um, makes them go up automatically. So nothing happens. And we just think it's kind of a, you know, a mean thing to do, especially given the situation that we're in right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and we've used the term sin tax in the past, the, the sin tax. So what are some of the other items uh, that we will see something similar to it? Or is this exclusive to alcohol when it comes to the sin tax? Yeah, for now, uh, it's, al- it's, uh, it's just on alcohol. Uh, but, I mean, people got to remember, the, I, they may not be aware just how much of the price of alcohol in this country is already taxed. So mm-hmm. for spirits, you're looking up sometimes three-quarters of the price. Yeah. Um, for, and for beer, more than half. So there's already quite a bit of sin tax on those, uh, on those things to begin with. It is crazy. So do we, uh, do we know, is it a percentage then that it goes up as of April 1st? Yeah, this year it's between one and one and a half percent. So obviously, if uh, if inflation is lower, then it goes up less. Uh, but the funny thing is, if inflation, if there's deflation, the price doesn't go down. So yeah. they, they manage to find a way. It's a one-way escalator, so to speak. Is there any? I mean, obviously, the outcry would be, you know, you go there, and oh, it's going to cost me an extra fifty cents or whatever it is for a case of beer. But is there, you know, any kind of an, an uprising or a change? in the works or groups that want to change it and see this, you know, ripped out? Or do you think Canadians are just, oh, it's just par for the course? Well, it is that old, uh, you know, the, you boil the frog in the pot slowly, and then before you know it, you're cooked, right? Uh, but there are a lot of groups, especially since the pandemic struck, chambers of commerce, uh, obviously the beer industry in particular. Um, they're asking at the very least for the government to just hit pause for at least a year. Mm. Uh, this is a pretty terrible time to raise taxes. And really uh, kind of a, a double slap in the face when we're expecting the carbon price to jump up April 1st as well. That's right. It's uh, April 1st is more expensive in, in more ways than one. And so, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I, again, I do find it a little bit funny that they choose April Fool's Day to do this uh, to taxpayers. You've been quoted as saying that automatic tax, tax hikes are a dangerous precedent that we should all be concerned about because, yeah, now it's alcohol. What could be next? The door is open, right? 
Well, yeah, look, uh, politicians, obviously, they're elected, and if they want to raise taxes, they have the right to do that, but we think it's important that they do it transparently. They should have to stand up, they should have to face a legislature or parliament, and that's really the only protection that uh, that Canadians have against more tax hikes is, you know, a politician thinking, do I really want to have to face the music on this? So we think an escalator tax that makes it automatic kind of circumvents what should be a normal uh, accountability process. Aaron, how often, though, if ever, does when something like this has been implemented and it just automatically kicks in, as you say, can we get it revoked? Look, uh, the government can do can revoke it whenever it likes to. Um, the, the reason that uh, we made us think about this when it first came in is it's because of the precedent. Uh, and, you know, we're concerned the longer it sticks around, the more this government and other governments start to think, hey, why should we bear all the political pain of being open about our tax so we can just slide it in the legislation and have it happen automatically every year? I think that uh, that could become a very expensive proposition. Aaron, across southern Alberta, well, across the province for that matter, and even in uh, you know certain sections of the uh, belt line in the city of Calgary, they call it the beer belt. You have so many of these small craft breweries that have really made a go of it, and now it's, it's almost a separate industry. Will it take uh, these industries, as you mentioned, there's the ones who rattled the cage a bit, will it take the strength in numbers of these smaller breweries, not like the Molson Canadians, for example, that you get hit the hardest with these taxes to, to really have some success at staring down an escalator tax when it comes to beer? I think so. I think the pandemic has really given a, um, at least a PR boost to small business. I think a lot of politicians, are, of course, they're sensitive to getting reelected. And if they see businesses in their communities really struggling and people starting to push and saying, hey, there are simple things you can do. All we're asking is you hit pause on what would otherwise be a tax increase. I think that really increases the chances something can be done about it. Beer, liquor, wine, gasoline, fill up and buy up because as of April 1st, no April Fool's joke, the taxes will jump in into effect. Thanks so much for joining us, Aaron. Thanks a lot, too. Appreciate it. That is Aaron Woodruff, who is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation Federal Director. 50%, so that $26 case of beer. You're talking 13 or 14 goes straight to the government? That's outrageous, isn't it? which, Which makes, I didn't know it was that much. I just thought things were more expensive up here. But yeah, when you go to the U.S., and you're buying a, a 12 or a 15 pack of beer for $10. Which is already expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 10 bucks versus the 26 here. Same with the, with the pump, right? When they break it down, and I've seen different, I think it was Esso that at one point had that percentage of government, and that huge piece of the pie goes straight to the government. Yeah, there, there has to be a bit of a better way than soaking your, your, your people. Whether or not it's gas. When we're trying to soak ourselves. We want to soak the ourselves. But you know, responsibly. You're, you're, of course, always. You're right. You know, we, why do you think people go down and cross the border and go into the States and buy booze and fill up with gas and buy, you know, the liquor, the wine? It's just so much cheaper compared to what we, even if you pay the duty yeah. on it, like, we always go down, we stock up, claim it all. Because even if you pay the duty and the taxes, it still works out to be cheaper. Yeah, there. Absolutely. Well, here's a here's a text, and it's my views have kind of changed a bit on this. This texter says, "I'll just read part of it. I personally don't have a problem with the so-called sin taxes. If you want to smoke, pay the tax. If you want to drink, pay the tax. Kind of like user fees. Well, no, I do have a bit of an issue. For example, my uh, one of my favorites is Tool Shed Brewery, Mm -hmm. and I know the guys who launched it, and Graham's still very much involved. And you know, they really put tooth and nail into that business." And to hear that your product, uh, you know, you obviously want to make a profit. They don't get a penny from the tax to begin with. And the fact that people may be putting your product back on the shelf because it's so expensive, but you can't control that. Mm. So to a large extent, at what point does it tax their product out of use when somebody would enjoy having a cold beer that's produced locally?